Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, July 24th, 2012. This is episode 947 of the Survival Podcast. I have a really cool guy for you today. His name's Matt Ladd. He's an IT consultant. He's going to be with us in just a moment. We're going to talk about cloud computing and how that can help us create both individual and business resiliency during outages, uh, during blackouts, during downturns, during all kinds of things, how we can be more lean and agile when it comes to technology. And I promise you, even if you're not a business owner, uh, this show is going to do a lot for you today. Uh, probably some things you can take to your company and let them know that they could be doing to make your business more resilient during things that happen. Like, oh, I don't know, that giant blackout they just had in the Northeast. Uh, some of the things you'll hear today could actually benefit uh, a business during a situation like that. Or other things that cause a business to have to shut down, like weather events, like... Who knows? I mean, we just you know, we prepare for all of this stuff, and sometimes we leave out the, comp the component of what about our companies, what about our businesses, what about our employers. And don't worry if you're not really into that mindset of things. There's going to be a lot of things today that you'll learn that you can do just to make your individual life better and more resilient and create more resiliency and redundancy for you with your data, which is a preparedness topic, at least in my book. I will say this. If you're a fan of 5 Minutes with Jack... You're getting a bonus episode because this is going to be a great episode for those of you with small businesses or even medium to large businesses. All right, before we bring Matt on, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today is Fortress Defense Consultants. You know, uh, having a firearm is important. And I think that most people out there feel that if they ever needed to respond in a critical situation using a firearm, that they would know what to do. And I think many of us might pull it off. We might. But you want to up your odds. We just had this horrible, horrible shooting in a theater in Colorado. And, of course, the gun control nutjobs say, well, if somebody else was armed there, they'd been firing randomly and it would have made it worse. No, no, no. But the, the point is valid that just because you have a gun, if you're in the middle of one of these scenarios, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be able to be effective and save as many lives as possible. And even if you take a lot of training, it doesn't mean that you're always going to win. That's not how the real world works. But every time you train, every time you become more competent, the odds that you will come out on top go up. The odds that you will save your own life and the lives of others go up. So I really recommend not only do you have weapons, but you take good Uh, good qualified weapons training, and I can't think of a better place for you to do that than Fortress Defense Consultants with Frank Sharp Jr. and his cadre. And they are perpetual students, not just perpetual teachers. They're always learning. They're always taking training with other people uh, as well every year. Each of their instructors takes multiple additional training courses themselves, so they're always sharpening their skills so that they'll be able to do the best job for you when you get training from them today. Check them out at FortressDefense.com. Next up, the Berkey guy, Jeff Gleason. What are you going to get from the Berkey guy? I I know it's crazy, but the Berkey guy sells Berkey water filtration systems. I, you know, it's hard to put those two together, right? But why the Berkey guy for your Berkey system? Look, we all know we need to be able to, to purify water, uh, both day to day just to have the best quality water we can. And in a, a long-term crisis situation, or even a short-term crisis situation, being able to make our water drinkable is a huge thing. Or what about this? What about when they say, uh, yeah, uh, we screwed something up with the water uh, like last week, and we just figured it out. And so from now on, boil your water. But you've been drinking the water for a week, and you're not too sure about it. If you had a Berkey system, that would be great. But why get it from the Berkey guy? Why not get it from the dude at the gun show that all of a sudden is selling you know, quote-unquote preparedness items? Because he's the Berkey guy. Who else would you go to? He's going to take care of anything that goes wrong. He's going to fix it. You're going to get the best price. You're going to get great service. You're going to get service from a guy that's been sponsoring and supporting my show for over three years. Has had no complaints by any customers whatsoever. I did have one recently. A uh, customer was upset because their, uh, their sport bottles were damaged, but not by Jeff, by the U.S. Mail. What did Jeff do? He just replaced them. 
I mean, Jeff is an awesome guy. He's the Berkey guy. So when you need your Berkey or you need your components for your Berkey, check him out. If you need other prepping items, though, check out his site. He's got some cool stuff as well. He only carries the best. You'll find his site at directive21.com. That's directive and the number's 21.com. Best way to visit Jeff Gleason, Fortress Defense Consultants, and all of our sponsors Go to the survivalpodcast.com first. Click on their banners in the right-hand margin. You'll know you're dealing with somebody that actually has my personal endorsement, not some brand pirate, because, folks, there are lots of brand pirates on the Internet today. They stick hyphens in. They change .com to .net. You name it. They're out there. Uh, you want to know you're dealing with somebody that really carries our endorsement. Next up, hey, Friday, 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 I will be at the Self-Reliance Expo in Arlington, Texas, at the Arlington Convention Center. I will be part of a panel discussion from 12.30 to 2.30 on Friday. I'll be doing the opening keynote address just a half hour after the doors open on Saturday. Links for all of that stuff is in the show notes today. It uh, has been for about the past week. Remember, there's a special TSP meet and greet. You can get in 30 minutes before the doors open for everybody else. Meet me, meet Jackie Clay, meet Marjorie Wildcraft, meet all kinds of cool people, Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy, Southern Prepper One. And hey, you guys get to meet each other and find each other before there's like a bazillion people in there in the way, right? So come on in early. You don't have to be MSP. Some people were confused about that. All you have to do is be a member of this audience, show up uh, you know, show up a little bit more than, than the half hour early, go to where the tickets are being sold, look for a sign that says TSP Meet and Greet or TSP Meetups, it'll say something like that. Near that sign will either be Scott or Ron. Go up there, start mingling together, and when it's time, they will escort you in as the VIPs that you are. Uh, with that, I do have everything wrapped up today. I'm going to skip all the other stuff. Uh, I will tell you this about MSB, though. While I'm away, there will be an MSB sale. That's all I'll say for now. With that, I'm ready to introduce our special guest. Again, his name is uh, Matthew Ladder. I'm just going to call him Matt. Uh, he's an experienced IT business consultant. He provides high-level IT uh, analysis and redesign of IT systems. He's really big into cloud computing and helping businesses use that to further their redundancy. He's here to talk to us today about how we can use this in our businesses and in our personal lives to uh, be more resilient during times when they kind of get tough in the business sector and, let's say, at home as well. Hey, Matt, with that, welcome to the Survival Podcast, man. Hey, Jack. Good to talk to you. Hey, um, we're gonna, we have you here today to talk about IT, and this is obviously what you do for a living and something you've been doing for a long time. Uh, but I think a lot of, like, the small business person thinks of IT as, like, email and web hosting and a cell phone and it may be Skype, and God, that's all I, I can do in the beginning. But once you start making money, how do you start looking at setting up your IT so that that business can grow? Great question. Uh, I think one of the things you need to think about from a, a small business perspective, especially if you're, if you're super small, it's just you or you and your wife, you start a business, you're making money now, you need to figure out something besides just Gmail or Hotmail or something. Um, you have a huge advantage that other companies don't have because the advantage you have is kind of like a developing, say, like a developing country. They can skip all the BS that we had to do with the phone systems and all that and just skip right to wireless and, say, 4G. So their life is so much easier. And in, a, in the kind of that same analogy, small business, can you can do the same thing, right? So instead of going out and buying a ton of servers, hiring a company like what I do to come in and manage it, you can um, – there's so many options out there now. Uh, you can either put a bunch of pieces together on your own based on what you like, like if you find um, cloud computing software, say like Evernote or Dropbox or um, Gmail that you like, and put those pieces together and then kind of build processes around that. Or the other thing you can do is go with kind of an all-in-one approach. And there's there's definitely been some work in the last, say, three years to come up with good solutions to do that. Kind of the two leaders in that field are Google and Microsoft. Uh, Microsoft's kind of doing more in the small business area just because I think they understand, they get it more. You know what I mean? They they uh, they understand the enterprise and they kind of understand the the mid-sized business. And they they came out with a small business server a, a long time ago, back in early 2000s, and they kind of built up a whole group that can that can build off that. And I think those people were instrumental in helping them kind of build out their cloud infrastructure, which anybody in, 
in Microsoft's kind of ecosystem can use that. I mean, if you're if you're Ford Motor Company, you can use Office 365, um, but it it behooves the small business because they don't need to spend the money on the kind of the capital cost. And w- and one of the nice things about cloud computing is you're moving the cost to operations, right? So it's just a monthly fee based on the people you have. Another nice thing is that if you hire somebody new, you just kind of add that into what your projections are for the year, budgeted out for that employee. If you lay that person off, God forbid, you you subtract that. So it helps you. So it's not like you're dumping a ton of money into IT. And then if you have to cut back severely for some reason, you're, you're still stuck with all this IT that you're paying for. So from that perspective, you can you can save yourself a lot of money, and I think you can jump ahead of, say, like a established business of 50 to 100 people from an IT perspective because you don't need to deal with all the legacy stuff. Well, that makes perfect sense, but you're using a word there, and it's a big part of what we want to talk about today called the cloud, and everything now is the cloud this and the cloud that. And I think a lot of people are like, I don't know what the freaking cloud is, and I don't know that I have time to figure out what the freaking cloud is, and why do I care? And you know, so what is the cloud, and and how does a person know if it makes sense to move their IT to the cloud? Sure, the cloud. Every pretty much everybody that's listening to your show probably is using the cloud in one form or another. So if you have a Hotmail account or a Gmail account or um, Yahoo account email then you're using the cloud. Essentially what the cloud is, is instead of having servers in your office, there are these places that people don't know called data centers, which are these massive structures. So they'll have huge walls that are cement. You couldn't drive a truck through them. They have tons of security. There's cameras everywhere. And you can rent space there. So, um, you know, Jack Spirico could go buy a rack. That would be the same rack that you would put in your office. And you can put servers in there, and the advantage you get is that they will make deals with everybody from electric and Internet that's in that area. So let's say um, I'm in northern Virginia. We're kind of in the fiber hub just because of where the Pentagon is, and and AOL used to be here. So you have a bunch of um, different companies that provide Internet access. So say Verizon, um, old MCI lines, there's some fiber, level level three, which is a, a fiber um, company. All those lines are coming into that data center. So let's say that some somebody's out and didn't call Judy and throws a shovel through the Internet line that shuts down Verizon from Northern Virginia. They have redundancies before that um, immediate time. The Virginia line going into the data center will be shut off. But that or I'm sorry, the Verizon line going into the data center will be shut off. That's not a big deal because they'll have a level three line and another line and another line. So what it really is is redundancy that's built into the data center. They also do that with power. So most places maybe you only have one power producer, but they try and get another one to come in, say, from another county, so that if the power goes out, there's another line. They have backup diesel generators. Most of those can go for at least a week, if not two weeks. And they can just keep operations going. They're super redundant. And companies like Google, Microsoft, Yahoo, Amazon is another huge one. They've built out these massive data centers, um, and they just put the newest hardware in there, and they build out systems so that you can easily access it. So one of the problems that you would need to hire me for is if you go buy a server and you sit down to it, you're not going to know what the hell you're doing. You're not going to know how to set it up. But the Microsoft has put the thought into the front end. So you can sit down in front of, say, an Office 365, or Google has done the same thing if you log into Google Apps, that it's so easy that, you know, a monkey can do it. You're just putting in the email addresses, setting up the permissions. If, if you have any questions, there's a ton of, ton of help documents to walk you through it. Uh, in some cases, like Microsoft, you can pick up a phone and call somebody and they'll help you. So the cloud is really just moving stuff into a data center where it's super protected. Um, and then if you kind of take that to the next level, place, people like Microsoft and Google, they have data centers all over the world. So Microsoft will have a major data center in Redmond and one in uh, New York and one in Chicago. And then they'll have many ones, say, in like Atlanta and in D.C. and in Texas and Dallas, all over the place. So they'll have like 25 in the United States. And what happens is, is your data gets replicated to each one of those data centers. So let's say there was a massive snowstorm in Redmond, like there was this year, and it completely shut everything down. Let's say the power went out and the internet went out. 
if your email's there, it doesn't matter because what's going to happen is when you connect to your email, it's going to shoot you to, say, the Dallas data center. And all your stuff's there. It's backed up. It's protected. As soon as Washington Redmond comes back online, it's just going to port over any new emails that was there. So the whole system's a giant redundant mesh. And it even is to the point now with Google, Microsoft, Yahoo, the big guys, Amazon, that it's a global mesh. So Microsoft has data centers in China. They have them in India. They have them all over the world. And if something were to happen in the U.S., your data would still live there. So kind of it, it's all around the world. And if you're in China on business, you're going to connect to the closest data center. So they try and make that connection as fast as possible. So the cloud is essentially just taking all your stuff, putting it in a data center, and if you get to a certain point, you can replicate that to other data centers all around the country and even all around the world. So, I mean, I think what that means is that, you know, most of us are using the cloud on some level, and it's making a decision of how much gets done in or how much goes to the cloud. But I know one of the big concerns that any business owner would have is a lot of our files and documents are things we have large security concerns for. And if it's out there where we can grab it from anywhere in the world, it's also out there where anybody can grab it from anywhere in the world. Absolutely correct. So one of the things that you want to think of, kind of the first question, let's say that you're, you're an established business, you have some servers in your office, and, you, and you've heard about this cloud buzz thing, and you're thinking, what, I want to move to the cloud, what should I do? And, and that's kind of what I do. You bring someone like me in to kind of chat through it. I'm not going to push you in either direction. I'm just going to give you your options. And there's things that are called private clouds and public clouds. So a private cloud is Jack Spierko has the, the servers in his office. He wants to move them to a local data center. He hires a company like Technative, my company. We go in, we set up all your servers there. We set it up so you can access it. And now we have this redundancy of the data center. It's in your rack that you rent, you pay for monthly, you have a key to that rack. Nobody can get into it except for the people that you want to get into it. And you have access from all over the world, right? So you have this giant internet pipe that comes in and as long as you can access your files and email and QuickBooks and that type of stuff remotely, you can, you can get it from your private cloud. So you own it, you rent that space. The other side of the coin is a public cloud. So a public cloud would be like Google Apps, or Google Docs, which a lot of people use, or say Microsoft has uh, on, the, on the free side, if you have a Hotmail account, you also get a SkyDrive, and they can give you some Office apps that are free. And if you pay for it, you can get uh, Microsoft Office 365, which is kind of a, uh, a business suite for that. And it's going back to just what I was saying before. So Microsoft has built out these data centers. Your data lives there, and it's secured by different different levels depending on who you're dealing with. Um, I mean, one of the things you want to think about if you're moving to the cloud and you've decided you want to do the public cloud because it's cheaper, you don't need to pay for the rack, you don't need to pay for the servers, you don't need to pay for somebody to maintain the servers. Um, if something happens, something goes bump in the night and your server blows up, somebody's got to show up there and fix it and you're essentially down till that happens. Those problems don't really happen for public cloud because Microsoft's dumped billions of dollars into all these servers. Google's done the same thing. If you have uh, a small company, if you have a, uh, a, you meet somebody at a chamber mixer or something like that and they say, I got this new cloud thing, it's awesome, you should join us, I'd be a little leery because essentially all that dude's doing is he's going to a data center, he bought a bunch of racks, he put a bunch of servers in there, and he is moving your data there. So most of the time, even big, I mean, this happens to me all the time. I'll, I'll be working with a client. We'll be talking to somebody that has some newfangled WYSIWYG that the client wants. And you just delve in a little bit and ask them some questions like, well, how many data centers do you have? Is your data replicated? And most of the time, it's a couple racks in a data center. So, I mean, it's redundant, but it's not as redundant as, say, um, Google's infrastructure or Microsoft or Yahoo or any of the big boys. Makes sense. I mean, part of why I have you on the Survival Podcast with us, because this is easily could be a uh, five minutes with Jack interview up to this point, uh, though, is that this creates a lot of redundancy. And one of the things that we need to be thinking about as business owners or employees who are dependent on our business, like not going under and not being able to pay us during a disaster, is being able to stand through a disaster and continue to serve your customers and perform the basic functions of the business. So how can IT help us prepare for that? 
Great question. And, and Jack, I know you've talked about this before because you used to be in telecommunications and you, you always complain that people, you go to the clients and talk to them about redundancy and they just don't get it. And, and that is one of the biggest problems that I have. You know, we manage small businesses and you will, I mean, we'll go into a new business and they're not even doing backups. You know what I mean? They, ha- they have an exchange server there. They got a file server. They could be a 13 to $25 million company and they're not even doing backups. Part of that is, they're cheap and they don't want to pay for it. And the other part is that they just don't know. You know what I mean? So you kind of have to guide them through the process. The beauty of the cloud is that everything's backed up all the time. So because of going back to what I was saying about you have this replication, you, if, if, like I said, if Washington goes down, you have the data centers in Texas. So you, you kind of have this redundancy. And if you, one of the things I always tell people is, if you're if you're doing backups, you have a couple different types of backups. So let's say Sally's working at her desk and she accidentally deletes a Word document that's on the server and it goes away and she freaks out and she calls us and says, I freaked out, I need that Word document. You can go in and just restore it, right? She just did that. Or let's say she did that a week ago. Hopefully we have a backup solution where we have enough time where we can we have enough backups stretching over a couple of weeks that we can go back and restore that file. The biggest problem you have, and, and it's the one that people just don't want to – I think it goes into kind of the whole normalcy bias thing is they just don't want to deal with it. It's what happens if my building burns down or my business blows up or somebody, God forbid, hacks into my systems and deletes everything, which I've heard that happening with clients. Um, in that scenario, you want you need a couple things, right? So you need you need specifically a couple things to run your business. If everything blew up, you would love to have it all, but if you couldn't have it all, what are the couple things that you need? One thing you probably need is payroll and QuickBooks, right? Because you want your employees to get paid. You don't want to worry about trying to figure out what's going to happen with that. And the other thing you really need is email. So most of the time, even when we have a file server, probably 80% of all the files that you and I share are on are in our email, right? So if we have our email, we can go back and kind of restore that. And then the, the last piece, if you if you have the the time and the money is to actual those files, right? So your contracts that you deal with, um, the contracts that you have with your clients, or if you, if you work for the government, all that stuff you you have somewhere, and you would like to have the actual copies of it. And if you can come up with some kind of backup solution to do that, um, that's an ideal situation. So in in that scenario, the backups that we were talking about before was Sally deleted that Word document. Those backups are always on site, right? You have some kind of um, device, a MyBook, or some kind of hard drive that you're storing that information on, and you can quickly retrieve it. In the scenario where the building blows up, like there's a gas leak and your building blows up or it burns down, or you come to work at 7 o'clock in the morning and there's nothing there, what, how do you restore that stuff? So you can use a product like Mosey or um, Carbonite, which is awesome. Both those are great. And essentially what they do is they put an agent on your servers or your computers, and anything that you work on gets pushed up to the cloud at night. And if you need it again, you can just pull it down. And if you have too much data, you can call them and say, look, my building blew up, and they will burn everything off to DVDs and FedEx it overnight to you. So at the most, you're down for like a day, and we can and we can rebuild from there. The beauty of the cloud is that you don't have those problems. You don't have to deal with the backups and, and all the stress that's associated with it. So let's take going to payroll and QuickBooks, right? Those are two huge things if you own your own business, and it's probably the things that keep you up at night because that's your, you want to make your employees happy. QuickBooks Online, so QuickBooks has essentially taken their suite and put it online so that you can access it from the web. So they built out their own cloud infrastructure. And one of the nice things about QuickBooks is they've opened up their kind of back end so that third-party people can write really cool applications that can connect different pieces. So if you use ADP or something like that, you can connect it to your QuickBooks so that you can just push a button and it sends all the information. That By doing that, by moving all your data from the server that was in your office to QuickBooks Online, it's now completely redundant. So QuickBooks is going to make sure that they have that. They're going to do good backups. But the other thing that's awesome is let's say that you want to work from home or there's an ice storm and you can't get to the office and you need to get payroll done. You can log in from any computer that has Internet access into QuickBooks Online and get what you need to get done, which is kind of another huge advantage to cloud computing is that since you've kind of moved all this stuff to a data center somewhere and it's totally accessible from the Internet, 
you now have the ability to tell people you can work from home. And if you build your architecture right from a cloud perspective and everybody works from home, you don't need to have an office to rent. You can save yourself a ton of money. So you've taken this problem that was a capital cost that you had to dump a ton of money into, and we moved it to an operational cost. We could just pay for it monthly, right? We're just renting it, essentially. And then now we've gotten to the point where everybody can work from home. We have enough we have enough technology that we can all communicate, so we don't. it doesn't matter that we're in the office, and we don't need to pay that massive bill every month for to rent an office. I mean, if you're running an office, you can get a Regis office or a car or something like that. Um, and then, you know, we did this at my last business. I was a partner, and we kind of – we had a help desk that was in Pittsburgh, but the D.C. office, we kind of disbanded, and every, everybody just worked from home. And then we would meet up once a week. Um, and everybody would kind of chat and go over what we needed to do. And it saved us probably $13,000 a month in rent. I mean, that's huge. Now, what about a person like me that says, frankly, I don't give a rip about employees because I don't have any and don't want any. Uh, But I have a tremendous amount of data in volume. Uh, Not things that I'm really worried about being secure. I mean, obviously, I'm not concerned that somebody will get a copy of this podcast that we're doing right now because I'm going to stick it on iTunes and everywhere else and say, please come get a copy. But when when I start thinking about my server sitting at 100 terabytes down in Houston, I start thinking about how much data is on there after four years of doing the show and almost 1,000 episodes, plus the forum, plus the forum database. And I start to realize, like, the reason I have the service I do now is because of the amount of bandwidth being pulled, more so even than the volume of data. There's a lot of low-cost places that I could host everything that's on this site, and as long as there weren't you know, 30,000, 40,000 people a day sucking down 30-gig files, they wouldn't complain about it. Right. So is there an easy way that a person like me could set up basically a mirror server where it would be like, you know, and I wouldn't even tell anybody what it is. I'd throw a redirect on it or something while it was being used for emergencies. That if, if my server over at 100 terabytes crashed, it would be mirrored somewhere and automatically do that without it necessarily coming off of my um, desktop or my computers here in my office, but actually going from one server to the other. Right. So there, the, the fundamental problem that you have with that is the amount of data that changes. So backups are all about changes. So if you have a... You know, let's say that we did, you and I own a business and we have all this data till today and then tomorrow we get a new client so we have a contract with that and then we have the legal that goes along with that and then whatever work we do for that and all this stuff goes on the server, that, those are the changes that happen today. You know what I mean? So if there's another server somewhere, those cha- changes need to be reflected in that. So the problem that we have is if it's a ton of data, so say what you do, I mean, if, if, if it's not that much, let's say it's a, maybe for me, a, it's not really that much because it's you know five days a week. There's a big audio file, one one each day, and a blog right. post. So that's not that big a deal. The forum though is like you know thousands of people constantly posting updates and all. That's a huge SQL database behind that. So that's something that would have tons of tons of updates. Right. So there's a couple different ways you can do it. You need to you can do it from a um, if you if you have a private cloud architecture, and you have a data center, and you have a, uh, you have your server where the forum's on, right? And then you're going to have another server that will be a backup server. There's a number of free products out there. Um, I don't have them off the top of my head if you just Google them. And actually, I can, I can give it to you, and you can put it in the show notes. Um, okay, that'll work. Where, where you can set it up so that you have another server somewhere, just as you're saying, and it knows that there's a change, and it copies it over. In all honesty, it's an open source software. I love open source software, but it's not that awesome. So, I mean, we looked at it for a couple of clients, and it just didn't really work 100% of the time. Um, another thing that you can do is it, it, it depends on the amount of data. So, I mean, if you have tons of data, if you have terabytes of data, you're kind of going to have problems just because you have so much data. But if Dropbox, which is an awesome solution, I use it all the time, um, you can I, – I have a blog that I have – uh, it's a WordPress blog. I have a database behind it. I have tons of pictures and things that are in it, nowhere near what you're talking about. But every every day it pulls a backup and it throws it in Dropbox. So essentially I have a I have a blog. It's in the cloud. Right? I use HostGator. It does a backup of that and puts it in the cloud in Dropbox. 
and Dropbox, I don't, if, if your listeners don't know what it is, it's essentially like a folder that's on your computer. So if you, if you have a folder in My Documents and you store all your stuff in there, Dropbox is just a folder that's on your computer. But what it does is whenever you put something in there, it puts it up in the cloud. Or if you have – and you can have it on your phone and your iPad. And you can have – any smartphone will have it. And you can access all those documents from there. And it's backed up redundantly the same way that Microsoft or Google would do with your email. So that is an awesome solution if you're – if you don't have a terabyte of data. If you have a terabyte of data, the solution is really to use an online backup provider, somebody like Carbonite or Mosey. Uh, and then you're going to pay a nominal fee per gigabyte, and at night or whenever you want it to, it'll push all that data up to the cloud. If something happens, you can pull it back down. Again, you're going to run into the same problem we were just talking about where you have so much data, you're going to have to call them and say, look, I need this right away. They can either burn it off to a DVD or put it on an external hard drive and FedEx it to you, and then you can run to the data center, plug it in, and do a backup. So really the big problem that you have is how much data do you have? And that's one of the things that you, you really need to look at because if you have a terabyte of data, the only really way to do a good backup is to use one of those cloud backup services to kind of push it to the sky. Yeah, and I mean from my perspective, like if we had something go awry and we lost a day's worth of postings on the forum – I would feel bad for the guy that did a really great post that day, but I'm not going to shed any tears over it. And that would be far more preferable than losing, you know, four years of forum postings, which is a huge critical part of the architecture of my business. So I'm not so much concerned with real-time backups for that. What I'm concerned with maybe is like a daily backup run because I'm not going to lose payroll there. I'm not, you know what I mean? It's, it's, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a matter of kind of just preventing catastrophic loss because I've seen many a forum just blow up one day and and we do backups and all we do do backups but to me having it automated in two totally different locations that's redundancy right Uh, you know this the server i have uses rs1 soft backups which you know does a bad but it's a a local backup so it's still right where the other server is right so in that scenario you can going off what i was saying before you can use this product that kind of sees that it does a backup and it trickles it over to the other server the problem that you have with that is that it's not user friendly so you're going to have to log in a couple times a week to look at it and see if it did its backups right with with a with a cloud-based solution like mosey or carbonite you're going to know right away and you can even log in the website and see it'll tell you what's going on so it'll tell you that you can even set it up so that it sends you an email every day and says jack I copied this much data over, and it's now in the cloud, and you don't need to worry about it. Just kind of like I set up a cron job to do something on my site. It'll email me and tell me that it was either completed or enacted and and failed. Exactly. I get it. That that makes sense because the big problem for me is I don't want to do all this crap. And, I mean, that kind of leads me to the next question is how can I set up the IT, especially as the true small business person or the lone entrepreneur, so that my IT becomes something that makes me work less and not more? Right. So one of the ways to do that is to go to the cloud. So as I was saying, you're kind of, if you, let's take Office 365, for example, Microsoft's kind of small business solution for email. They have SharePoint, which is kind of like a, where you would share your files and folders. Um, they have a product called Link, which is like instant messaging, but it's, it's private between you and I. Um, those products that product suite, you would have to, if you were going to build it in your office, you need to buy an exchange server, big money, right? You're talking five to $7,000. You're going to have to buy another server to set up link. You're going to have to buy another server for SharePoint. By the time you're done, you're probably around twenty-five grand. Then you need to hire somebody like me to manage it. So if you go to Microsoft Office 365, it's set up so that you can set up your email you have Outlook, which I, I know some people are just addicted to Outlook. I'm one of those people I can't. Gmail drives me nuts just because I don't have all the options I need in Outlook. And it's so easy to configure. And if you get into a jam and can't figure it out, you call them and they fix it. Um, and if you just look, let's say that you have five people, right? So Microsoft has two things. You can just get email. So you get like a full-blown Exchange server all to yourself, everything that comes with Exchange. And it's 4 bucks a month per person. Right, which is ridiculously cheap. So if you have five people, that's thirty bucks a month, three hundred and sixty bucks a year, eighteen hundred bucks or I'm sorry, uh yes, thirty three hundred and sixty bucks a year. Wow man. And uh eighteen hundred bucks 
for five years. So generally with servers, if you buy a server, the lifespan's five years because that's how long Dell's going to warranty it. So you can buy it with a three-year warranty, and then when the three years up, you can buy two more years. And I wouldn't recommend ever having a server that's out of warranty. Um, so for 1800 bucks over the course of five years, those five people have email, it's ridiculously cheap. Now, if you go to Google with Google Apps, it's free. So I think for 10 people, it's free. So if you have a small business under 10 people, you can set up your own domain name. You can set up jackspearco.com or the survivalpodcast.com, and you get free Gmail. You can hook it up to Outlook. It's not going to be the same. You're not going to get all the, the wonderfulness of Microsoft Exchange, but it's free. You know what I mean? And you, you can all you need to do is go to GoDaddy, get a domain name, and kind of port it in there. Now, there is a little bit of a trade-off there. You have to Google's not going to make it as easy because you're not paying for it. You know what I mean? Um, but there aren't ads. They're probably less likely to help me, too. Like when I right, pay for exactly. something, I have a reasonable customer service expectation that goes along with my, my, you know, my business. If I, if I have a problem, I expect to be able to call somebody. And if it's free, I really don't. Right. And the, trust me, Google doesn't care about you. So, um, and, and they've kind of had some ups and downs. So if, if you were going to ask me which way you would go, I would say pay for it. It's so cheap now with Microsoft. Um, and, and you get world-class support. Um, and then, like, if you go the other route, so you get SharePoint, you can put all your files up there. Anybody can access it from a web browser if they have the right credentials. Um, and you get links so we can chat through instant message. That's 6 bucks a month per person. You know what I mean? So it's, it's just so much – it's ridiculous how cheap it is now. It used to be a lot more expensive. So say last year – I think it was around ten dollars, and they really cut it down. And if you say, "Well, it's only four bucks," not really that much different. If you get twenty people, four bucks a month per person adds up. So, um, moving things to the cloud is an easy way to do that, so that you can kind of manage your IT. You can manage your IT, right? Because they had to build this front end so that my mom could set up emails. Whereas you don't need some, you don't need to hire somebody like me to do it. Now, if you're on the other side of the coin, where you already have servers in your office and you don't want to do the cloud, you don't care. You should hire a managed service company. So there's two types of companies that do IT support for businesses. There's like a retainer model, same thing that you would do with a lawyer, right? You pay them a certain amount every month, and they show up every Tuesday, and you give them a list of stuff to do. And if something breaks during that time, they'll show up, but you pay over that, right? So you pay a time and material expense for that to happen. The problem with that model is is that a, you, you might like Johnny, but at some point Johnny's going to move on. You're going to get a new guy, and you might not like him. And the second issue is is that he doesn't get paid to keep things up and running, right? He gets paid when things break. So if let's say you paid him – you paid that company $1,000 a month to come in and make sure all your servers are running well. But when your servers blows up, well, that company might make an extra three grand that month because you might have to have four people there in an emergency situation performing surgery on the server to get it up and running again. And that's all going to be outside the scope of your contract. So you're going to pay them 100 150 bucks an hour to fix it. So there's no incentive for them to make it work, right? So what the, what the industry has come up with is a, is a product called managed services, which is everybody uses it in different forms if it's Verizon Wireless or somebody else. But especially what it means is that you pay a company to do it's, – it's kind of insurance for your IT. You pay them a single monthly fee. Sometimes it's based on the number of computers and servers you have. Sometimes it's based on the number of users you have. And they do soup to nuts. Everything is included. And because everything is included for that single price – so let's say you're a five-person shop and you pay me 100 bucks, You pay me 500 bucks a month because 100 bucks per person – if something blows up, it's, you don't pay me extra, right? So it's my goal. It's my absolute goal to make sure things are running all the time and that I don't need to show up there to fix things because I don't want it, – let's say that that costs three grand. It's going to cost me three grand to send a bunch of people out there to fix it, but you're only paying me 500 bucks for that month, right? So that allows small businesses, A, to budget because now you know I'm only going to have to pay Matt 500 bucks a month for the whole year. And then if there's anything that's outside that you need to buy IT, generally you want to find somebody that's intelligent enough that they can work with you, that understands small businesses, understand how you budget, understand that maybe you make all your money in the fourth quarter, and that would be the time that we would want to buy stuff. Or I have extra money in the fourth quarter, and I want to, I want to get some tax deductions out of this. We need to buy some new servers. That type of stuff, you want somebody that knows that. 
But managed services really takes a giant leap because the provider has to try very hard to make sure everything is running and being proactive about it. If you're being reactive and things blow up, well, that sucks. You're going to go out of business really quick because you just you will have people running around with their hair on fire trying to fix servers everywhere. But if you're on top of it and ahead of it and making sure that if there's a problem, it gets fixed before it turns into a big problem, then you can actually make money doing that. And the other thing that you'll find with companies like that is when you need something, since everybody's not running around with their hair on fire, they can help you. The, somebody will pick up the phone and be more than happy to help you with your problem, whereas if it's the, that kind of retainer model, you have somebody that's on site at every place, and if you need somebody extra or if he's on vacation, sometimes it's very hard to get them to respond. You know what I mean? And it, it, if anybody that's had an IT problem and it has forced them to stop working, to doing what they're doing, and they're losing money, they know that they want somebody that can react quickly. So yeah, it, it kills me. I mean, just to have, like, if the site goes down, there is, I am doing absolutely nothing until it's back up because it is the business. And, and, and I will be ruthless and I'll be awake at three o'clock in the morning on a rare occasion if it occurs because it's that critical to the business. And I, I don't have employees drawing a salary to do nothing. And I do in, in the past I did. And that's an even bigger concern when I've got, you know, five salespeople sitting there looking at a blank screen, not making phone calls on salary. That really hurts. I've got to get that fixed quickly. Right. And and the end goal is that it doesn't break. You know what yeah. I mean? So like if you can if you can get a good company that does and it, kind of the key to managed services is they'll have a system in the back end that kind of watches everything that's going on. And mm-hmm. Windows generally when it has a problem it tells you. But it doesn't it doesn't tell you or I or you know, if you're sitting from your computer you don't notice. But if you go into the event logs, you'll see all these errors that are happening. And the errors build up, and over time, that's what causes problems. So generally, Windows, if you're looking for it, if you're an administrator, is telling you there's a problem, and you need to address the problem. And it's not that big of a deal. It might take you five minutes to an hour to fix it, and then you don't need to worry about it anymore. If you have a system in the back end that's feeding you that data that's saying, this client is having all these problems, you need to fix them. And people and your guys then are taking their time to fix that stuff versus just kind of sitting around, then you're being proactive and, and the stuff doesn't break. And when the stuff doesn't break, your guys aren't sitting in front of a blank screen waiting for systems to come back up so they can make their sales phone calls. And then if you're being proactive and stuff doesn't break, then we can talk about, because I have real data from my system that's saying, this server is not going to make it much longer. Jack, we got six months. We got we to gotta do something. You don't need to do it today, but we need to come up with a solution. So I'm here to work with you to figure it out, but we're going to have to throw some money at the problem. But there won't be any downtime associated with the problem once we set it up, and then we'll be good to go going forward. That's what you want, right? You want somebody that's going to be honest and tell you what's going on versus somebody that doesn't even know what's going to happen, and then your server blows up and you're just sitting there twiddling your thumbs. I completely agree, and uh, that kind of leads me into my next thing. As I mentioned, that you know, one of the things that when I had employees that would drive me crazy was having – uh, my employees sitting there doing nothing because their whole job revolved around internet access, telephone access, etc., and they don't have access to their database, what have you. Now, I want you to talk about how you can set things up for employees to work from home, and I'll give a real-world example of something that happened. We had at the the headhunting recruiting company that that I used to be a partner in all of our data in a cloud server environment, so it was not on site. We had every employee with the ability to work from home. And one day, a huge transformer supplying our building literally exploded. Like, we thought a bomb went off. It was like a terrorist attack. It was just an electrical transformer that exploded. And it's like, there will be no power at the building for the rest of the day. So we just sent everybody home. Said, log in and start working. Take care of your responsibilities from home for the rest of the day. We'll get in touch with you tonight as to whether or not this is going to be resolved. If it's not... You can work at home tomorrow. And we ended up with the power out for like half the day the next day. So we just told everybody, stay home and work again. That saved a day and a half of downtime. So can you talk about ways that people can can get that into place so that you can have the majority of your workforce still working when there's some reason they can't work on site? Right. So you that's kind of the beauty of the cloud. 
right? So you, you don't have the stuff in the office when the transformer blows up. It's in a data center, which hopefully is redundant and has redundant internet and redundant power. Even if the power goes out, the generators come back on and you're good to go. Um, it, then it just comes down to what applications are you choosing? Are they cloud friendly? Are they, you could use QuickBooks in an environment like, and we're kind of going to get a little technical here, but Microsoft makes a product called Terminal Server, which essentially you just log into a server and it looks just like your computer at home, but all your stuff is, is on there. And, and that server lives in the data center. So you can access all your stuff from that server. Or you can use a product called Citrix, which a lot of law firms have been using forever, um, which essentially you just go to a web page and you click on the Outlook icon, and Outlook on your computer opens with all your email. Those are expensive solutions. So th those cost thousands of dollars to set up. And if you're a small business, it's, I wouldn't recommend doing it because the technology has kind of moved ahead of that. So if you use a product, say, like Office 365, and you have your emails through Outlook. So you just have Outlook on your computer at home, or you have webmail, like Gmail or Hotmail. You just log into the web, and all your emails in a web page. You have SharePoint. So if you and I want to share a document, an Excel file, a budget, whatever, it's up in the cloud, and we can pull it down, and we can work on it. Um, we can communicate through link. So if, if we're both working from home and we don't necessarily want to talk to each other or we don't want the slowness of sending emails back and forth, we have our own private instant messaging that essentially keeps track of everything. And from a business owner perspective, it saves that in the exchange server. So if we ever need to go back and look at, let's say, let's say Johnny left and we wanted to look at the conversation that he was having with Paul two months ago, we can do that. Um, so that all this stuff's in the cloud. Microsoft takes care of all of that. You don't need to worry about it. So then do you have other pieces to the puzzle that you kind of need to figure out? And one of the big pieces is is accounting. So it just depends what accounting system you use. Um, but most accounting systems now have some kind of online solution, such as QuickBooks Online, where you don't need to deal with installing QuickBooks on your computer and then accessing it through a database. It's much easier. And the other beauty is you don't need to deal with updates. Anybody that's dealt with QuickBooks, they send updates all the time. And there's literally like one of the biggest tickets that we always get, can you update QuickBooks because I'm getting an email or I'm getting a pop-up that says it needs to be updated. All the updates for everything that's in the cloud generally is taken care of by the provider. You don't ever need to worry about that. It just happens. Um, the other then piece that you have, so we got email cover. we got a place where we can put all our data. we got accounting done. The other piece, and it doesn't affect all small businesses, but it affects some, is some kind of CRM system. So how, where are we going to put the information, like you were saying, where you're doing headhunting, where we have this information coming in and we need to Yeah, where's, where's my candidates? Where's my customer contacts? Where's my sales contacts? Where do I get all – now, I personally use Salesforce for that, even as an individual, I think, and, and it's very cloud-friendly. Exactly, and that would be one of the main ones I recommend. And Salesforce has come so far, anybody that's used it. It is a little pricey, but it's pretty awesome for what you get. Um, the other option is Microsoft makes a product called Microsoft CRM that actually integrates with all that stuff. So all the three things I mentioned, you have, you have the instant messaging, SharePoint, which is kind of your file server, and email. Then you just add Microsoft CRM, and it, it, you go to one web page, and everything's there. Um, which is a great solution. Some people don't like CRM, which I completely understand. If you're doing any kind of like sales or um, anything where you need to have tracking information and you're like a sales manager and you have guys underneath you, you need to watch what they're doing, which is very helpful if you work from home, right? You want to be able to see what they're doing and not paying them every minute saying, what's up with this, what's up with this. Salesforce allows you to be the manager and kind of see what they're doing in the back end. You can see how many calls they made, who they made them to, what was the result, what's the, what's the sales pipeline, how's that all working out. You can see that in a, in a real-time system, which is awesome. You can also do that with CRM, but CRM is more of a platform where you need to spend some money with, a, with another company to kind of set up the business processes the way that you want them, whereas Salesforce is the opposite. They say you do it the way that we want you to do it, and that's it. Some people like that. Some people hate it. So it just depends. Um, to me, it still has a lot of flexibility, though. Like, I can add fields and things like that, and it's uh, 
it's uniform and it's intuitive. So I can tell you, for example, when I was working as a regional manager for Fluke, and I had six rep firms, and each had their own CRM, and I had my own proprietary CRM, my forecasting, my reporting, all of that stuff would have been accelerated a thousand percent if everybody had just been on Salesforce. Right. And it probably would have cost less than what everybody was using, honest to God, because when you start going proprietary, everything is very expensive. Well, and that, that's the one thing you got to think about is that you got to buy servers. you got to have somebody that's going to manage it. If you're going to make any changes to it, you might have to hire a company to come in and do consulting to make the changes. It's going to cost a ton of money. Um, so I think most people, when you say move to the cloud and this is how much it costs, they might freak out about it. But when you actually add it all up, it's ridiculous how cheap it gets. Um, and you just don't have this burden. And it, I guess some people don't realize the burden, but I think if you're a business owner, I mean, I have CEOs that just call me randomly and be like, Matt, is our stuff backed up? You know what I mean? It could be like at 9 o'clock at night. You could tell that they just like were out to a baseball game with their kid and freaked out because they just had like a dream that everything was going to blow up. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you just or don't or one that. of their friends, their fellow CEOs called them up and said, hey, we just lost everything. I don't know what to do. Right. And it became reality to them, or they just watched TV and watched half of the eastern United States go without power, and they, they you know, they craft themselves when they see that news report. Um, another thought for me, though, is, you know, we got a lot of people listening to this that they're never going to own a business. They just, that's not what they want to do. But from a, a disaster uh, preparedness standpoint, there's probably a lot that this, the average person could do for next to nothing uh, to be more prepared, to be more able to get their data when they need it, to communicate better with their family. So could you give us like some top things that the person that's sitting here that's maybe glassed over a few times during this conversation can do practically for themselves to, uh, to, to, to better be a better prepared person overall? Sure. So first thing, backups. If you have a computer at your house and you got stuff on it, especially pictures, um, Carbonite. There's a, there's a company called Carbonite. It's like 60 bucks a year. So it's a one-time fee. And you just put a piece of software on your computer. It knows when you're working on it. So like it can tell when the processor is doing stuff. It knows when you're not. And when you're not, it trickles all your data up to the cloud. It's all encrypted. It gets encrypted on your computer. And then it gets sent up to the com- to their servers and gets encrypted again. Um, and there's no size limit. So if the, another product that does that is a product called Mosey, but the way that they bill is they bill per gigabyte. So let's say you got a desktop um, in your home office or at home and it's got a terabyte of pictures on it. Carbonite doesn't care, right? You're just paying that flat 60 bucks. All your stuff gets backed up. You don't need to worry about it. Awesome product. I use it myself. I probably ha- I have 1.8 terabytes backed up of Carbonite. I highly recommend that product. Um, other stuff that you can do is move some of your stuff to the cloud. Um, I mentioned before Dropbox, awesome product. Um, you, you can put it, I have an Android phone. I, iPhone does the same thing. If you take a picture, it automatically gets uploaded into Dropbox. So when you sit down on your computer, you see the picture. It's, it's right there. It's awesome. Um, so all that stuff's immediately getting backed up. If you are going to save a, a picture or a Word document or something like that, you can put it in Dropbox. They give you two gigs for free, um, which you think two gigs isn't really that much space, but it, it's enough space for important stuff. Like if you're going to have a scan of your will or if you have some documents that aren't that are very important to you, but there's not, you know, it, there's no security risk if somebody were to get into it. Um, that's the type of stuff you should put up there. What you were saying, I think, last week when you were talking about documentation and you should kind of do a cipher on your bank account numbers and things like that, if you did that in a Word document, you could store it in Dropbox, and if you were stuck, say there was another 9-11 or something, and, you were, and I was stuck in Atlanta and I didn't have anything, I could log into Dropbox from the web from a computer that's in the airport or my hotel and have access to that stuff, which is key. So the one thing that the cloud gives you, it gives you access to everything. And let me add one little, one little tip to that. Um, people say, well, there's like, it's only two gig, and I'm getting close to two gigs, so what do I do? Set up another freaking account, right? right? And or, then you have four gig, right? And that's a lot of data. The one beautiful thing about Dropbox is if I share with you, so you can share folders, right? So, like, okay. my wife and I share a folder. If she's at work, this happens all the time. She'll, uh, since I work from home, she'll ping me and say, I need blah, blah, blah. And I just drop it in the Dropbox folder, and then it shows up on her computer, which is awesome. That's awesome technology as it is. But when you share it with her, they give you 500 megs for free. So the more people you do that to, I, th- I, I haven't paid a dime to Dropbox, and I think I have, like, 12 gigs. 
so you can keep building it up. But at the same time, it's not that expensive. I think it's 50 bucks a year for 100 gigs. Uh, that's a lot of space. You know what I mean? You can do a lot with 100 gigs. Yeah. Um, don't use don't use my books, please, people. I had I have a, a great friend that was an old CFO, and he had a friend that was like an IT guy. They had a my book. They didn't pour. They didn't. They had kind of an older laptop. They literally put all their pictures from the time that their kids were zero to about ten on this my book. So it's like 750 gigs of pictures, and the my book dies. So he, like, gives it to his buddy to try and, like, see if he can get it to work. And in that process, it, like, completely it hard drives once they go. Like, every time you try and bring them back on to life, they, it's like a record player. It just scratches the record. It just makes it worse. So by the time I got it, he was like, can we do anything with this? And you can send them out to California, and there's companies that will take the whole thing apart and, and put it all back together. It was, like, 20 grand. They wanted 20 grand to get the, all the pictures of his kids from zero to ten. And he's just like, I'm not doing it. You know what I mean? I'm not doing it. And, it. and it's total blackmail, but at the same time, if you need it, that's the, that's what you got to do. So I highly recommend Carbonite. You don't need to deal with it. It's 60 bucks a year. You just drop it on your computer. Everything gets pushed to the cloud. If you need it, if your house blows up, right, you can call Carbonite, and they will burn it off to an external hard drive and send it to you anywhere in the country, FedEx overnight. And you can literally just plug it into a new computer and start over. You know what I mean? You have all that stuff, especially kids' pictures. Tons of stuff is like people are growing up. That stuff is just so brutal to lose, especially now that everything's digital. Do you recommend that people also keep an external hard drive for backups on site? Um, not as – because I, I understand if the house burns down, obviously the external hard drive has gone too, but it would be something that could be grabbed and taken with you maybe easier than taking you know every computer that's in a house on an EVAC. Right. So – um, there, the problem with say a MyBook, which are great, Western Digital makes them, is that it's only one hard drive, so there's no redundancy. There's a product out there called Drobo, D-R-O-B-O, and they make a bunch of different products. But their original product is about 250 bucks, 300 bucks on Amazon. It will accept any hard drive. So like if you have an older hard drive, you can just stick it in there, and it will hodgepodge put all the hard drives together to form one big bucket, and whatever you put in there is backed up between all those hard drives. If one fails, it can send you an email to the hard drive fail, please put in a new hard drive. You just put in a new one and it automatically copies the data. It's about as big as a loaf of bread. And if, if the house was on fire, you can literally unplug it, grab that and run. Um, and that's what I use a Drobo at home. Um, and it, I think I got like two terabytes on it. And you can, you can kind of do, if you Google it, I'm not going to tell you how to do it, but if you Google it, you can kind of find a way to make an external hard drive mount to your computer so that Carbonite sees it as part of your computer. And then it'll back up all that, and you won't have to pay extra for extra space. Gotcha. That's, that's the, really cool. The other product uh, that i got to bring up, because I, I just think it's like one of the best cloud products in the market, is a product called Evernote. I think I've, I've been listening to you since the, uh, since the car days, and I sent you an email long ago, and it's like, you Jack, you should check out our Evernote. I'm sure you just deleted it, but it's a no. Actually, I did, but then I never really. I, I actually put it on my iPhone and all, and I never did anything with it. I never figured it out. Yeah, you got to put it on your computer. So if you put it on your computer, and then you have it on your iPhone, it, it's a game changer. So what you can do is, it's just like a notebook, and you can create different notebooks. You can share notebooks with people, kind of the same way you can do it with Dropbox, and you can. There's plugins for, say, Firefox, Chrome, Internet Explorer. So if you're on a web page and, and you want the stuff that's there, you can just highlight the tech, text, right-click, and go send to Evernote, and it just makes a note. Or um, they have this really cool plugin called Clearly. So, like, if you're in Firefox and you're looking at a web page and there's all kinds of crap, right, there's ads and stuff everywhere, and it's all very confusing, you just want that article, you can click on this button on your browser and it immediately gets rid of everything but just the text. And then you can click on a button that says send it to Evernote, and it, it just goes in there. They give you an email address. So um, it's, it's kind of a jarbled email address because they don't want spam to go to it. But let's say that I'm having a correspondence with you, but I want to remember it, and I don't, I'm going to set up a, 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 a notebook called Jack Spearco and all the conversations that we have I'm going to put in there. I can just CC myself to my Evernote address and put an at symbol and put Jack Spearco, which is the name of the – the notebook and it automatically goes in there. It automatically like sets it up there. Once you start using it, 
it is the coolest product between that and Dropbox. So I'm an IT guy. I kind of do, uh, I reveal my computer all the time because I'm always testing stuff and I'll mess it up and I got to wipe it and reinstall Windows. I have it now between Dropbox and Evernote. I don't need to install anything but Microsoft Office. I just put those two pieces of software on it and my uh, Microsoft Office and I'm good to go. I got everything I need. All my stuff's in, in Dropbox or it's in Evernote. The beautiful thing about Evernote, and the one thing we didn't really touch on in this whole chat is security, but Evernote allows you to select text within a note and encrypt it with a password that you set. And they're very explicit in it that if you forget that password, you're SOL. Like you're not, we can't do anything. We can't get that text back. But okay. the beauty, the beautiful thing is, is that like, let's say you have, um, you can create a notebook called logins. And then all your stupid stuff, because people should have good passwords, but let's say that, like, you go to USPS.com and you set up an account so that you can do, if it fits the chips, you have this crazy password that they require you to do. You know what I mean? It's not like one of your normal passwords. You have to, like, come up yeah, with Yeah, it's crazy. like ampersand, exclamation point, capital S, three, less than sign, plus, G-R-T, small u, capital P, pound sign. You're like, I freaking will never remember that. Right. Copy and paste it. Open Evernote in your login notebook. Create a new note. Call it USPS login. And then put your your login name, your username, and then put the password and select that text, right-click and go encrypt, and it's encrypted then. And then anytime that you need it, you just, and it, the search on this thing is awesome. So you can just search USPS, the note will come up, double-click on the encrypted, you put in your, your password, and it shows you what it is. Um, the other thing that's really cool, and this is how Evernote started, is if, they, so it has an app for iPhone, Android, any smartphone. If you take a picture, I know they used to be into wine at one point. If you take a picture of a wine bottle, it automatically gets uploaded to Evernote. But what Evernote started out as is it, it was kind of a parsing system for JPEGs. So it would analyze the JPEG, see if there's any words in it, and then make those words searchable. So if you had a notebook that you called wine, which I have one and I share it with my wife. So anywhere where we are, if we take a picture of a wine bottle, let's say we're out with friends and this bottle of wine's awesome, I just take a picture of it. If I then later on, let's say that, you know, we're going to have people over and I want to, I want a good cab that night to go with my steak. I can just search cab and it'll come up with all the labels that were cabs and any notes that you had with that label. You know what I mean? You could, when, after you took the picture, you'd be like, this wine was awesome. It was the best. You know what I mean? And that, that label will come up because it could search pictures. Or if you're, if you are out, say at like a bus stop or something, there's a cool ad and you want to, just take a picture of it so you remember it. You can do the same thing. You take a picture of it, and any text that's in that picture, Evernote will figure it out and makes it searchable. That's incredibly cool. That that would be cool, too, because I guess you could do things like have a folder called business cards. That's what right. I do. So I don't even I don't even deal with the stack. So no business card scanner. Your iPhone or your Android becomes your business card scanner. Right. And, and it literally the search is that good. You know what I mean? You could take... You could take my business card, take a picture of it, and then two months later do a search for Matt Ladd, and my business card will come right up. Awesome, awesome stuff, Matt. Well, I, I appreciate today's show, and I think we kind of got a double feature here. This is definitely a preparedness show, and uh, I'm going to mention it on 5 Minutes with Jack as a, uh, a good show for small business people as well. So I appreciate all the effort you put into being with here, us with here today, being here with us today. <laughs> well, th thank you, Jack, and thanks for the podcast. I mean, you... You're definitely one of those things that changed my life. So, uh, and you've, you've changed my wife's life, and it's huge. I just need to get out of the DT area now. But other than that, um, it, it's it is definitely huge. And thank you for doing everything that you do. Well, again, I appreciate you for being with us today, uh, Matt. And with that, folks, this has been uh, Jack Spear with Stay Along with Matt Ladd, helping you figure out how to live that better life. Times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you.
Show you.